Brethren, I invite you to turn in your copies of the Scripture to 2 Samuel chapter 23. We've progressed to the last two chapters of this book as we have uh, studied through this book now, uh, almost its breadth. And we've come to the what are often titled in your Bibles as a comment, the last words of David. I'll speak to that in just a moment. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, normally the New King James. Uh, I believe the ESV has a, a more accurate translation here, and so I'm using the ESV today uh, for your reading. I will be reading through uh, the listing of David's mighty men at the end of the chapter. I hope not to do an injustice to all those names, but it may happen. So bear with me as I go through those names. Uh, hear once again the very words of God from Second Samuel 23. Now these are the last words of David. The oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who was raised on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. Quote, The Spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The Rock of Israel has said to me, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout up from the earth. For does not my house stand so with God? For he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. For will he not cause to prosper all my help and my desire? But worthless men are like the thorns that are thrown away, for they cannot be taken with the hand. But the man who touches them arms himself with iron and the shaft of a spear, and they are utterly consumed with fire." These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Josheb, Bashebeth, a Tacomanite, he was chief of the three. He wielded his spear against 800 whom he killed at one time. And next to him among the three mighty men was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, son of Ahoyi. He was with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle and the men of Israel withdrew. He rose and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clung to the sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day and the men returned after him only to strip the slain. And next to him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Herorite. The Philistines gathered together at Lehi where there was a plot of ground full of lentils, and the men fled from the Philistines. But he took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it and struck down the Philistines, and the Lord worked a great victory. And three of the thirty men went down and came about harvest time to David at the cave of Adullam, when a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Raphium. David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines Philistines was then at Bethlehem. And David said longingly, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink 
from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and carried it and brought it to David. But he would not drink of it. He poured it out to the Lord and said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went at risk of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. These things the three mighty men did. Now Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zariah, was chief of the thirty. And he wielded his spear against three hundred men and killed them and won a name beside the three. He was the most renowned of the thirty and became their commander, but he did not attain to the three. And Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, was a valiant man of Kabzeel, a doer of great deeds. He struck down two aerials of Moab. He also went down and struck down a lion in a pit on a day when snow had fallen. And he struck down an Egyptian, a handsome man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but Benaniah went down to him with a staff and snatched the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. These things did Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, and won a name beside the mighty three, the three mighty men. He was renowned among the thirty, but he did not attain to the three. And David sent him over his bodyguard. Azahel, the brother of Joab, was one of the thirty. Elhanan, the son of Dodo of Bethlehem, Shemah of Herod, Elikah of Herod, Helez the Paltite, Ira, the son of Ikesh of Tekoa, Abiezer of Anathoth, Nebuniah, the Hushathite, Zalman, the Ahoyhite, Maharai of Netophah, Heleb, the son of Bena of Netophah, Ittai, the son of Ribai of Gibeah and the people of Benjamin, Benaniah of Parathon, Hedai of the brooks of Gosh, Abi Alban, the Arabathite, Asmaveth of Behurim, Elbah, the Shabonite, and the sons of Jashan, Jonathan, Shema, the Heretite. Ahim, the son of Sherar, the Heretite. Elephelet, the son of Abishai, of Makah. Eliam, the son of Ahithophel, the Gileadite. Hezro of Carmel, Pariah, the Arabite. Igal, the son of Nathan and Zobah, Bani and Gadite. Zelek, the Ammonite. Neriah, the Beroth, the armor-bearer of Joab and the son of Zeriah. Ira the Ithrite, Gareb the Ithrite, Uriah the Hittite, 37 in all. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, as we come to this passage in your word, we are reminded of David's desire to serve you and to be your servant before his people. We thank you for his example, and we know that our Savior came in the line of David, that he was the one who kept the covenant that David was promised and has ascended to your right hand where he makes intercession for us. 
sitting in your very throne room with you as the one, the great one, the son of David, the lion of the tribe of Judah who's purchased our redemption. With thanksgiving, Lord, we mention his name today and honor it before men. Father, bless this account of David, his last words. Goad us to love and good works as a result of that. Remind us of these mighty men who did these mighty things on behalf of your people and your kingdom, that we might emulate their courage, that we would confront the enemies of God with the gospel, the sword of the word of God, that you would subdue them by your spirit and bring them into your kingdom. And we ask this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Well, brethren, we've progressed through the life of David. We've come to the final two chapters of Second Samuel, the final chapter being the chapter where David takes a census of the people of Israel. Two items are recorded in this particular chapter, which is probably an addendum to the book. Remember, Samuel, as I mentioned at the beginning, was one large book. We've, in our English Bibles, have broken it into two books. Uh, the life of David up through the death of Saul, and then the life of David once he becomes king in Israel, first to the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, and then all the tribes later as the uh, uh, ten northern tribes come under his rule in Second Samuel. Here we are at the, the, the end of the book. There's a couple of items that are being mentioned. We saw David's psalm in the previous chapter at the end of his life. Uh, here we're seeing uh, uh, his last words and then an account of these mighty men. And it's likely that the historian who's recording all of these things in the life of David is adding these to the book as an addendum. Uh, I want us to focus primarily on David's public proclamation here, this, these last words of David. And I have to be careful because in, in 1 Kings chapter 2, David is speaking just before his death to his son Solomon, who's about to take the throne uh, for his father at his father's death. And so those could very well be called the last words of David. The difference between these two circumstances is these words, it, it appears to be a proclamation to the whole of Israel. Whether he said it himself in, a, in an open speech before the people of God, we don't know. It may be that he was infirmed in his last days, was unable to do this, but he made this proclamation that was spoken. I'll speak to that in just a minute. But his message to Solomon is very different in some respects. He's telling Solomon how to deal with his enemies who are close at hand, one of which is Joab, who was David's uh, uh, highest general in the army. And, and David's telling Solomon, deal with this man. David should have done that and didn't. And now Joab will outlive David and Solomon will have to deal with Joab. But what is consistent between the last words that we find here in 2 Samuel 23 and the last words that we find in 1 Kings chapter 2 when David's talking to Solomon is a commitment, an unwavering commitment to God's sovereignty in all the affairs of men both in Israel as a whole, corporately, as David speaks to here, as well as in Israel in, in the house of David as Solomon takes over 
reign on the throne. There is a stark difference with how David deals with his son Solomon, giving him the wisdom of dealing with enemies with this particular uh, circumstance here. But before we get into the actual words that David gives, beginning in verse 2 and through verse 7, I do want to give time to verse 1 because there's some important things that are said in that very first verse. Remember, this is an accounting by a historian, and, and the historian is describing who David is in verse 1. Now, these are the last words of David. Here's the description. The oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who was raised on high, the anointed of God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. These are gracious and important words that the historian gives to David. This notion of an oracle. Uh, children, you may not understand that word. That's not a word that we use often in our English vocabularies. An oracle is either a said thing of great authority, or it could be a person who has great authority who says lots of things over time. Uh, in the Scriptures, there are different descriptions of oracles, one of which is in the New Testament that the preaching of the, of the Word is an oracle of God. Peter speaks of that in one of his epistles. So that every week that you come before the preaching of the Word of God, you are hearing an oracle from God. It's as if the words of God are coming through the pastor, and that puts a great burden on myself and other men who have this calling to bring the words of God and not fanciful stories and not things outside the Word of God, but to try to litter our speech with the very words of God, to bring them to bear in your life. Uh, let me say a little bit about my philosophy of preaching. I try to illustrate from the Scriptures. I try to preach the Scriptures. I try to pray the Scriptures and sing the Scriptures. Because it's the Scriptures that change, changes the hearts of men. Not my words, not my wisdom, but God applying His words to your hearts by and through His Spirit. So I try to litter my sermons with Scriptures. Something is happening when the historian calls David the oracle here. The oracle of the man who was raised on high, the anointed of God, the God of Jacob. David has an anointing by God. He speaks to that in verse 2. The Spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His Word is on my tongue. David is motivated by the Spirit of God. And in his great passionate psalm, Psalm 51, when he's confessing his sin before the Lord. What does he pray for? Take not your spirit from me, he says. When he confesses his sin, what's the thing that drives him to worry, to fret? Take not your spirit from me. He was that close to our Lord that his spirit was on his tongue and in his mouth. Well, brethren, that's the kind of passionate closeness that we should desire with God as well. That His words would be on our tongues. His words would be in our mouth. They would be the things that we share with men, share with our wives, share with our children, that they might understand what faith is all about. Share with our neighbors and our co-workers, that they may know the goodness of God the grace and the mercy that's proclaimed in the Scriptures. How can we do that absent having those words on our mouths 
and on our tongues. But before we go into those, the rest of His words in verses 2-7, through seven, I want to stop and make mention of some of these phrases in this first verse. The son of Jesse. What is that all about? Why is that important? Brethren, he is speaking about the humility of David there. The son of Jesse. Who is Jesse? Well, Jesse was prophesied uh, as uh, it, the, 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 the Savior would come from the, that branch in the tree named Jesse, Isaiah, Isaiah's uh, prophecy, chapter 7, 9, and 11. Jesse would be the root branch of our Lord Jesus Christ, and he was the father of David, but he was an obscure man. He wasn't a famous politician. From what we can tell, he probably wasn't a great landowner, but he did have sheep. He had herds to care for. That was likely his, his uh, business. And David would be one of his shepherds. He had many children, many sons, David being the last and the youngest. He lived in a small town named Bethlehem. We call that the city of David, right? But it was obscure. It was a, it was a, it, it was hard to even call it a village. It was so small. In fact, in Micah chapter two, or Micah chapter five, I believe, verse two, Micah says it was the least of all the towns in Judea, in the tribe of Judah. It wasn't even listed on the mustering forms of Israel in the Old Testament. The forums, when it's time to muster the armies, they listed all the cities. Bethlehem wasn't even on the list. That's how obscure it was. So David, the son of Jesse, is a, the last son of an obscure man from an obscure town. That's who he was. But a great truth is taught to us there. Remember Jesus' words in Luke chapter 9, verses 47 through 48. And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a little child and set him by him, and said to them, Whoever receives this little child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you will be great. Those are the words of our Lord. He who is least among you will be great. Mark 10, verses 43 through 45. Jesus says, Yet it shall be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Was David a slave? We'll look at that in just a moment. Was he a servant? I say he was. And then James 4, verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. David, the least of the sons of Jesse, the son of an obscure man from an obscured town, will happen on to a field of battle one day. 
And he'll observe a giant making light of the people of God. Saul, the king, who's on the battlefield too, will say, Whose son is this youth? That's how important David was. Never known by the king. And yet it was that young man, when Goliath was taunting the armies of Israel, would rise up and say, For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? That's what he would say. A courageous young man who wanted to serve God first and understood that service of God means serving His people. The people of God. The apple of His eye. The apple of God's eye. David understood we must decrease that God increases. Who is this man, this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God? Does that convict you? Do you have that kind of courage, men? I sometimes wonder if our women have more of that courage than we do. David, by necessity, believed he needed to protect and defend the chosen of God. By necessity. They were God's sheep, and he was a shepherd. He'd killed a bear and a lion. What's what's a giant? Bring him on. David's attitude wasn't fear. His attitude was, this man's so big, how could I miss him? when he takes those five smooth stones and puts them in the sling. How could I possibly miss? Takes down the giant and then takes his head off. But there's another phrase in verse 1 of our text that I want us to look at. It's at the end. The sweet psalmist of Israel. The sweet psalmist of Israel. By necessity, David was a warrior. And because of his war, warring on behalf of God, his household, uh, well, he himself, desiring to build a, a temple for God, would be kept from that because of the blood that he had shed with his own hands. God said, no, your son will do that, that work. But that doesn't mean David didn't enjoy the worship of God. In fact, David, of all the kings in Israel, probably was the most prolific in worship. Of necessity, he believed he needed to protect and defend the chosen of God. But he was enraptured by the worship of God as well. He sung his praises, writing almost the entire Psalter. And he did that through all of life's pleasures and difficulties. Pleasures and difficulties. It is a good habit to pray the Psalms. Particularly when you're hurting. To find those Psalms that express those emotions. 
but also remind us that God is our high tower, our fortress, our deliverer, our strength through those times. David sung those psalms in addition to the ones of great rapture when his heart was just filled with joy for the working of God in his life. Brethren, consider the demeanor of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Was he not of the same demeanor as David, only in greater measure? Was he not the lion of the tribe of Judah, who by necessity gave himself a ransom for many? Because you couldn't do it. You could not pay the price that was necessary for God's wrath to be withheld. But he could, and out of necessity, he came to this earth and became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. He fought Satan. He bound Satan and he's pillaging his kingdom even now. Luke chapter 11. The stronger man took Satan in his own fortress and bound him and now he's pillaging his kingdom for the kingdom of God. And Jesus declared over and over, I've not come to do my will, but the will of my Father who is in heaven. Wasn't that the very motivation that David had? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he challenges the armies of the living God? It's not my will that needs to be done. It's God's name that needs to be defended. His will to be done and I'm here to do it. Jesus came to exalt the name of the Father, both as a warrior against Satan, but also to teach us what worship is, to teach us what the, the, the highest calling of man is, to love the Lord God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbors as ourselves. But how do we love the Lord in that regard, with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Well, corporately, we do it in worship, don't we? Jesus taught us to worship the living God, to bow before Him in humility, in prayer, soliciting His favor and His will in our own lives, sharing the Word of God with others, teaching the truths of the Scriptures, what we know to be true, what we know to be the truth, healing the sick, Casting out the demons. Bringing men to salvation. These were the activities of His ministry. And He lived a worshipful life before His Heavenly Father each and every day as an example to us. Well, then we have the words of Jesus. I need to press on. Or, excuse me, the words of David in verses 2 through 7. Very quickly, the Spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His Word is in my, on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The Rock of Israel has said to me, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass 
to sprout from the earth. You see how the Word of God attends justice here? Uh, the Word of God attends justice. We, we in the modern evangelical church emphasize grace and mercy. It's important. Both of those things are needful in the lives of sinful men. Grace and mercy. But we seldom speak much about justice. And David says that the, the one who leads the people of God, if he's a just man as well, it dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. By the way, these would be good, good lyrics to another song, another psalm. That's what justice is when a just man meets that out before others. And then he poses some rhetorical questions. Verse 5, for, he does my house, for, for does not my house stand so with God? Hasn't it happened in my house this way as well? For He has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all, the th- in all things and secure. For will He not cause to prosper all my help and my desire? Various things I've noticed here that I want to share with you. Time is quickly diminishing. Notice that he's talking about his house and the covenant God has made with his house. Well, that house extends to all the people of God. God made a covenant with David that in his house there would be one who would sit on the throne of God forever. We know that to be Jesus Christ who affectionately is called a son of David, the lion of the tribe of Judah, who ascends to the right hand of the Father and occupies the throne over the people of God. A son of David. That's an everlasting covenant, brethren, meaning it has no end. We're going to see another everlasting covenant in just a few minutes when we come to this table. But God the Son rules and reigns even now at the right hand of the Father. He is pillaging Satan's kingdom. He has bound Satan. He's taken away his two great weapons, sin and death, by and through the second Adam, Jesus Christ. The end of verse 5. For will He not cause to prosper and all my help and my desire? In other words, who's going to thwart God in these efforts? When He looks upon you as the apple of His eye, His sons and daughters, sons and daughters of the living God, Romans 8, calling us joint heirs with Jesus Christ, meaning we're the recipients of the same inheritance of Jesus. Joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Will He not cause to prosper all my help and my desire? Notice that He says all my help. Why would David need help? Because he's a sinner. Sinners need help. David knew that more than anybody because he was cursed so terribly because of his sin. We're going to look at an allusion to that even now, or even in this chapter in just a couple of minutes. But David... 
David says, he acknowledges, for will he not cause to prosper all my help and my desire? God will prosper us. God will prosper His people. Jesus ever lives to make intercession for you. How can you not prosper? When the Savior of the world prays for your benefit, how can you not prosper? Are Jesus' prayers answered? Every one of them. Every one of them. In full measure. And when He prays for us, how can we not prosper? But justice isn't just about the prospering of those who are called out by God, but it's also judgment as a warning to all of us. Verse 6, But worthless men are all like thorns that are thrown away, for they cannot be taken with the hand. Isn't that, isn't that indicative of worthless men? They're like a thorn. They prick you. You don't even want to be around them. And you certainly don't want to take their hand, right? But the man who touches them arms himself with iron and the shaft of a spear, and they are utterly consumed with fire. The justice of God requires that all sin, all sin, every sin, be judged. All your little white lies, all the little things you do, as well as the great sins that you commit, all must be judged. The question is, on whom will that judgment fall? Will it be you because you won't confess them and you won't repent of your sin? Or will it fall on the one who bore your sin on the cross? A ransom for many. He became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. David, these are David's words at the end of his life. Remember that God will prosper His people. But also remember that He's a God of judgment. As David well knew. Just a few moments I want to speak about the mighty men. Uh, that's a whole sermon text right there. I don't have time for that. You're saying thank you, Pastor Hickey. The hour's getting later. But I do want to talk about a few of these men very quickly. Notice the first of the mighty men of God. Now Abishai, the brother of Joab, notice it was his brother. Joab was a bad character. You'll notice he's not listed in the 30 men. Joab is not listed there. Why? Because he was bloodthirsty. He had murdered two men vengefully, taking vengeance on two men who had killed, one had killed his own brother in time of war. Both of these men he, he killed out of vengeance. Not warfare, but out of vengeance. David should have had him executed for murder, but David didn't do it. Solomon would have to deal with him. That was the words that David gave to Solomon. But Abishai was chief of the thirty, and he wielded his spear against 300 men and killed them and won a name beside the three. He was the most renowned of the 30 and became their commander, but he did not attain to the three. Here's, here's a man who killed 
300 men with a spear, all by his lonesome. Reminds me of Shamgar in the book of Judges, right? <laughs> these are, I can't wait to meet some of these guys when we get to heaven. Talk to them about these circumstances. Young guys, read about these mighty men. They're important men. Well, I've talked about Joab, who's absent from the list. I've talked about Abishai, who killed 300 men with a spear. There's another fellow here that killed quite a few men with just a, a walking stick. These, these, were not, these were not frail men. These were not effeminate men. These were courageous soldiers. But I want you to notice the last on the list. Uriah the Hittite. Who was Uriah the Hittite? He was the husband of Bathsheba. He was a great warrior. David had put him in the front of the battle and told Joab to pull the armies back that Uriah might die in battle. For what purpose? That David might take his wife as his own. Had Uriah lived, my guess is he'd be much, much higher on the list. Much, much higher on the list. He was courageous and fearless. When he goes back to Jerusalem at David's summons, after David had committed his sin with Bathsheba, what did he do? He honored the king's presence when he was there. And he did not go into his wife. His work had not yet been finished. He was conquering Philistines and he needed to get back to the work. Had he lived, I think he would have been close to the top, if not at the top of the list, because he was a courageous man. And David had done to him what should never have been done, sacrificed his life, the life of Uriah, for his own pleasure. Young men, guard yourselves. As you are faithful to God, more and more will be given to you. That's a good thing. But it can go to your head, as it did David. And when warfare came to the people of Israel, David was not with the army. He stayed in, the, in his own palace. And his eyes wandered, and he committed sin. Young men, guard yourselves. Don't put yourselves in a position to do that. Don't put yourselves in a position to sin. Get out of the circumstance. There's no shame in that. That is bringing honor to God. And I commend that to you. Well, in closing, I want us to think about this example of David on his last, nearing his death, his last days. Um, I've been around enough years now to know that very few people have the opportunity before their death to pause and to give thought to what they want to say to those who remain. They don't have the opportunity to, to share with them what David has shared. I, I did a little research on the last words of famous people. You would be appalled at some of the things they said on their last moments on this earth. 
David was given the grace to be able to think about these things and then share them both with the people of Israel and then also with his son Solomon. I would commend to you this. Give thought to it while you can. Write it down in a journal and update it occasionally. That those who follow after you might understand the faith that you have. That what God has done for you as David recounts these mighty things in his life. Those who were important to him. 37 men mentioned in this mighty men list. And the work that they had done for who? Not for David, but as servants of the living God for the people of God. For remember, Jesus teaches us two great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second commandment, which we don't practice as we ought, are love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. In other words, on these two commandments hang all the Scriptures. Brethren, commit yourself to these things as David did and recount them for your posterity that they too might be faithful in their walk before the Lord. Let us pray together. Father in Heaven, we thank You for the life of David and we thank You for so much of his life that was faithful. We realize that part of it was not faithful as is our lives. We sin against You as well, Lord. And help us to follow in the steps of David in Psalm 51, confessing our sins, repenting of it, and pleading to You that You take not Your, take, take not your Holy Spirit from us. Father, we realize that we are the apple of Your eye. How can we not prosper when You have cast Your gaze toward us and promised us so many varied and good gifts by and through Your covenants? How can we not prosper? And yet, Father, so often we're disobedient. Work that work in us to cleanse us of unrighteousness and give us a desire for righteousness that permeates our lives. Each step that we take, each word that we speak, each deed that we do with our hands, may it be to Your honor and glory, and may we pile those things up at Your feet that You would be honored on earth as You are honored in the heavenlies. Strengthen us to do that, Lord. Help us to be good witnesses Help us to seek that for the next generation and the next generation to a thousand generations as Your covenant with Moses reaches that far out. Father, all this we ask by and through the great work of Your Son and the Holy Spirit in our lives. We are impotent, but You are full of power. And so we ask that that power would permeate us anew. Help us to be the witnesses that You desire us to be on earth. Help us to be Your children, faithful children. And Father, we trust You and You alone for the increase.